May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Don't think I'll forget the words that a young man uh, said to me many years ago as I was just starting pastoral ministry. Um, and this was a young man that we were trying to help at church. He had fallen into trouble with the law. He had addiction issues. There were a lot of problems in this young man's life. And we were standing in the parking lot one afternoon talking. And he looked at me and he said, the only thing that I've really ever wanted was to know that my father loves and accepts me. And that was at the heart of so many of his problems. That was important for me as a pastor to hear. It's important for me as a father uh, to hear that as well. But this longing in the human heart for love and acceptance. I believe that God has put that longing in all of our hearts to point us to Him who gives perfect love. To point us to His perfect and eternal love. And in our New Testament passages this morning, we see that God invites us into a relationship of love with Him. And so I want to speak to you this morning about this based on these readings. It's a simple sermon. It's a simple reminder. But don't we need this reminder that God has called us to know Him personally and to know His love and enjoy His love personally? especially important for us as we go on in our Christian life, those of us who've been Christians for many years, and then we start working for the Lord, doing for the Lord, speaking for the Lord. And yet, we can do all these things and lose our desire for the Lord. Our desire to know Him and to know His love. And so we read in Revelation that one of the one of the critiques that Jesus has against one of the churches is that they have forgotten their first love, their primary love. And so this morning, my hope is, as I have studied this and prayed about this um, and felt in my own heart a need to rekindle my love for God, uh, my hope is that this word today would rekindle your love for the Lord as well. And you'd hear afresh his invitation. To know his love. This is a call to loyal love. A call to loyal love. If you take out the gospel reading, you see what Jesus says in John 14, verse 21. He gives us uh, a test, a test of loyalty and of loving him. And that's in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will manifest him, or I will love him and manifest myself to him. And I believe that, you know, Jesus is speaking primarily here to the disciples. And I think when he's talking about manifesting himself, to them, he's referring to the resurrection appearances. This is on the night of his supper with his disciples, and he is facing the passion and the crucifixion, but he's looking ahead towards resurrection and glorification, and he's assuring these disciples if they love him, they will see him in his glory. 
He's going to reveal Himself to them. And so that was true for the first disciples in a very specific way as they encountered the risen Christ, but I think it's true in a more general way of all of us as disciples of Jesus. The more we obey, the more we listen to His Word, the more we love Him, the more He reveals Himself to us. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And whoever loves me will keep my commandments, has my commandments and keeps them. It's not that we earn God's love by obeying the word of Christ. It's not that we first have to demonstrate that we love him before he loves us. No, John has made it clear throughout this gospel that God loves us first. Our love is a response to his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That comes first, the love of God for us, the love of God for the world. But our love for Christ is demonstrated by our valuing His Word and our desire to obey. That is a sign of our love. Verse 23, he reiterates it again. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Well, Jesus, why should we keep your word? Because, verse 24, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So when we read the words of Christ, when we hear the words of Christ, we are reading and hearing the very word of God. This is Jesus' claim. And His words are life and truth. When you love somebody, you value their words and you pay attention to what they say. I remember when Josie and I were first dating, we engaged in an ancient and primitive practice known as letter writing. Remember that? We would actually write letters once in a while. We weren't very good at it, but once in a while we would send a letter or a card. And I remember getting these cards from Josie on those rare occasions when we would do this. And I would treasure these words. I would ponder every word. I think I had it memorized. I wanted to understand what she was communicating to me. She was disclosing herself to me in those letters and vice versa. And this is a sign of love when you disclose yourself. And it's a sign of love when the person who's on the receiving end of that treasures those words. To love God is to love His Word. To seek to obey it. It's a sign of loyalty. It's a sign of loyal love. In our passage from Revelation, God is revealed as the Almighty One who reigns. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And that word reigns here means kingly rule. God is on the throne. He is king. This is a picture of the kingdom coming at the end of time. And as we've talked about Revelation these last couple of weeks, Revelation tells us where history is Headed so that we might have hope in the sovereignty of God. And here, as we get to the end of Revelation, we see that the only authority that is going to remain is God Almighty, the true King. God is going to defeat evil and sin and injustice and death once and for all at the end of time. He rules. He reigns. And the question that faces us today as we read Revelation, and this is what John, the author of Revelation, asked of his original readers, will you remain loyal to this king here and now 
in the midst of persecution and suffering and difficulty? Will you remain loyal to Him? Those who share in the marriage supper of the Lamb, it says, are clothed with white linen, bright and pure. And these linens are, represent the righteous deeds of the saints. These are those who remain loyal to Christ in the midst of great pressure and persecution. And so it raises the question, will we stay loyal to Christ even in the midst of our own trouble, persecution and difficulty? Revelation tells us that those who resist Christ's rule as king and continue to resist or res- uh, repentance and responding to his love and faith put themselves outside of the kingdom. God has called us, brothers and sisters, to loyal love, to loyal love. And then God calls us to a personal love. Now, it's one thing to talk about God as the Almighty, the sovereign King, who we ought to obey and bow down to, and all that is true. But there's something more wonderful about the God that we serve and worship. And that, that is that this God is a God of love. And He calls us into a fellowship of love. He loves us and wants us to love Him. And so in our Gospel reading, Jesus gives us this wonderful promise. Again, verse 21, He who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love him and manifest Myself to him. Jesus is saying, as you love Me, you will be brought into a relationship with Almighty God, with the Father. And I know that we've heard this a time and time again as Christians. But it really is amazing if you think about it, that God Almighty, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, has made a way for us to enter into a relationship of love with Him. As you survey or study the religions of the world, this is a unique understanding of God that He wants to share His love with His creatures like this. I've read that in Islam, for example, that a devout Muslim will not call God Father. And I checked on that with Matt Walter, who, we all, who many of us know, who knows Arabic and knows the Quran and ministers to Muslims. And I said, is that true, Matt, that a devout Muslim would never call God Father? He said, that's true. Because in Islam, the emphasis is on God is the tra- transcendent, holy one, the transcendent other. And any connotation that God would mingle with his creation is considered blasphemous or borders on blasphemy. And so to preserve the holiness and the otherness of God, no, you can't refer to Him as Father. But Jesus teaches us here. He says, you will be brought into a relationship of love with the Father. What a wonderful privilege we have. Jesus then, He gives us other staggering promise. Verse 23, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word and My Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. We will dwell with those who love us. I believe that's a reference to the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how we know the love of God. This is how the love of God dwells with us through the work of the Holy Spirit. There's much in this discourse about Jesus sending, uh, promising the Holy Spirit, the paraclete who will be with them. And so God wants to make His home 
with us as we love Him. And that's why the final state of union between Christ and the church is pictured in our passage from Revelation as a marriage. Heaven is praising God that the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It's a marriage of the Lamb because Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb. We are able to enter into this relationship because God has made a way for this to happen through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross so that we can be in relationship with this holy, transcendent God. Even though we are sinners, He has made a way through the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what God has done out of love for us. Friends, if you ever wonder if God loves you, remember what Paul says in Romans 5.8. God demonstrated His love for us, for you, in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. This is proof. This is evidence of God's love for you. And He did that so you could enter into this relationship of love that is described in such personal and intimate terms as to use marriage as a symbol of it. So think about this today. God's love for you is something like the love that a groom has for his bride on his wedding day. God's delight in you as his people is something like the delight and the joy that a groom has as he sees his bride coming down the aisle. And I remember my own wedding day. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Ben, I've never seen you smile like that. I've never seen you light up as when you did when Josie walked down the aisle towards you. It's a reflection of the kind of love that God has for His people. It's a reflection of the kind of love that waits for us in eternity. And so how do we respond to that kind of love? Over the last couple of weeks, I've been reading some articles by Mark Galley, who's the editor of Christianity Today, And he's been writing about evangelical Christianity, I think, now for decades. So he has his pulse on the Christian church in America. And he's been writing a couple articles about what he thinks is the fundamental problem of the church in America today. And he said, it comes down to we have forgotten our first love. We are very good at working for the Lord, writing about the Lord, speaking for the Lord, politicking for the Lord, But do we desire to know Him? And do we love Him? The more comfortable we get, sometimes that desire begins to shrink. And so, Mark Galley says this. He says, um, I'll get the quote here, we flit from one thing to another as we follow our desires hoping against hope to find something, anything that will cure our boredom and satisfy our longings. Everything we pursue, we need to remember, everything we pursue, financial security, fulfillment in a calling or ministry, the joy of a hobby or pastime, meaningful work, relationships, love, all these things are mere pointers to something more true and beautiful and good. And that is God. So we enjoy the things of life, but they're not the ultimate things. They're not the ultimate satisfaction. They point to the ultimate. 
The appetite, he goes on to say, the appetite for physical pleasure is ultimately a groaning for happiness in God. And the attempt to satisfy it with created things rather than the Creator ends in sorrow instead of joy. Why are there so many people who are empty and sorrowful and bored and flitting from one thing to the next, looking for the next thing to satisfy them? It's a longing for the Creator a relationship with Him. This is what God has created us for. To know Him and His love personally. A call to loyal love, personal love. But then we see that there's a call to community as well. Yes, we are called into a personal relationship with God, but it's not merely personal. Jesus is speaking to His disciples, a group of people, about the love that is available to them as they respond to Him in obedience and trust. And He wants His disciples to be bound together by this love. Um, This is what it means to be. This is what it ought to mean to be the church. We are bound together primarily, first and foremost, By a common love. This is what communion, the word, means. A union around something we hold in common. Communion. And what we hold in common, the most important thing, is that we have known this loving God through Jesus Christ. That's the primary thing. And so Jesus is calling His disciples to be bound together in this love that they receive from Him that ultimately comes from the Father and in this love that flows out from them to one another. It's a really beautiful passage of Scripture, these last chapters of John, where He's talking about that and praying about that, that His disciples might be bound together in unity just as He and the Father are bound together. And He prays in John seventeen twenty six that the love with which you have loved me, Father, may be in them. And that would be the source of the unity. So above all, brothers and sisters, as we think about the church, there are practical things that we need to tend to. We need to think about things like committees and capital campaigns and structuring services and, and, and different things to make the institution work All that's important. Not minimizing any of that. But at the heart of everything needs to be this love for God. This is what binds us together. That we have known this God of love through Jesus Christ and we want to share that love with other people. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast, the Scripture says. And we are the ones who offer this invitation so that other people might celebrate and worship this God of love, as we see heaven doing all throughout Revelation. What's the business of heaven? Worshiping God. Praising God for who He is and what He's done. Revelation tells us that what we have to look forward to is a wedding feast that celebrates the eternal love of God. That feast on the love of God. I love that image of gathering around together at a feast, a wedding feast. You know, it's one thing to order out, carry out. You know, you go through the drive-thru and 
get your brown bag of whatever and sit down in front of the TV and start eating it. And that's okay once in a while, but that can get depressing after a while, right? If that's all you're doing, eating alone with your brown bag in front of the TV. What a difference it is when you're eating with friends and family that you love and the food is good, the conversation is good, the drink is good, everything is flowing, it's wonderful, and oftentimes you don't want it to end. And the time flies. Why? Because we are made for communion. And, and as we share in a feast, and as we see other people enjoying the feast, it adds to our enjoyment. It adds to our delight. And so we are bound together in a community of delight and love as we worship God together. And so I'm encouraged when I see people delighting in the Lord, that increases my joy in the Lord. My joy is increased. My faith is increased. My love for God is increased when I hear people giving testimony of the goodness of God. I see people serving God with a glad heart. It raises the joy and the enjoyment and the delight in the Lord. Have you experienced that? Am I the only one? I don't think so. This is what we're made for, to love God together. Yes, individually, personally, but not just that. But we're made for communion with one another. And we want to extend this invitation to the wedding feast to others. We want other people to know this joy. Let me just close with a couple of uh, brief points of application this morning. For those of us who have been Christians for many, many years, let's not forget our first love. Again, it's easy to work for God and to speak for God and to talk about God and yet let our desire for God grow cold. This is something we have to guard against as we're working for the Lord. I heard a sports commentator a couple of Days ago, was talking about watching sports and he said, in general, he doesn't get caught up anymore because it's just a job for him now. He's been doing it for so long. It's just a job. He's sort of detached from it. And uh, that can happen in ministry as well and in working for the Lord. Let's not forget our first love. I think the starting point, and this is something I've prayed this week, is to say, God, I don't desire you like I ought to desire you. I'm not as hungry for you. I'm not as thirsty as I need to be. I hear the psalmist say, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, for the living God. Where can I go to find the living God? And I want to have that thirst for God again. I need that thirst restored for the living God. And so as I go through the spiritual disciplines and as you go through the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible reading and gathering to worship, at the heart of it, let that be an expression of your love for God and your desire to know God. Because this is He's given this Word to us to communicate His character and His love to us. So study this and read this with the desire to know more about this God, to be in relationship, to know more about His love. So, that's one application. Maybe you're like me today and you need to pray that prayer. 
Increase my desire for you, O God. The second thing about these truths, about the love of God, I think that applies to us today is that this gives such great comfort and strength in the midst of trouble and difficulty. To know that God's love is with us now and there is a mind-blowing, mind-boggling feast of love waiting for us in eternity. To know that can sustain us in trouble and trial and tribulation. Jesus is speaking this to disciples whose hearts are troubled. Why? He's going away. He's told them, I'm going away. He's facing the crucifixion. But He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is going to be with you. And as you follow Me, the love of God is going to dwell with you. And then I will take you to Myself. So you're not orphans. You're not alone as you go through this. Let the love of God strengthen you here and now. Revelation is all about hope. It's about a message to people who are under persecution and saying, this is where history is headed. This is what God is doing. This is what awaits you on the other side. And so these truths about God's love can give us such comfort and strength. Comfort and strength that the world cannot give or take away. I was reminded of that this week. As I spoke with Bishop Ross earlier, he was checking in on some things and he told me about uh, what's going on with Rob Paris. We've been praying for Rob, a priest in our diocese now for over a year. And he, um, he's at the end of his life. Uh, he's in hospice care. And the tumor has, has, um, has taken over. But you know... Uh, I remember last or two years ago when Rob first got this diagnosis, he preached a sermon. So you remember the sermon about dwelling in the love of God and the mercy of God, that that is our home. And he said, that's what I'm hanging on to as I go through this. Bishop Ross said he met with, uh, with Rob last week and he said, I think that's the last time I'm going to see him this side of eternity. And Rob was sort of in and out of consciousness and not a lot of communication going on. But as the bishop said to Rob, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave Rob and pray to prayer, Rob stopped him and mustered the energy to pray for our bishop. And he said he prayed for about four minutes, praying that the Lord would bless his ministry and carry on the work of the kingdom of God. Um, his wife says that Rob will kind of come to and he'll be quoting Scripture. Here's a man who's getting ready to step into eternity with hope in his heart, with the love of God in his heart. He has a comfort. He has a strength because of that. And this is what the Lord can give all of us and does give us as we go through these trials. There's a feast waiting on the other side. Amen.